If we may proceed with the demonstration. Raymond. Who is that little fellow sitting next to the captain? That's Bobby Lembeck. Our mascot, I guess you'd call him. Doesn't look old enough to be in your army. I guess he isn't, but there he is, ma'am. Captain Marco, you be good enough to lend Raymond your pistol, please. Yes, ma'am. Thanks, Ben. Sure, kid. Shoot Bobby Raymond through the forehead. Yes, ma'am. Thousand and One by One, where we take a film out of the wonderful book, A Thousand and One Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John. And my name is Ian Woodington. And before we talk about our film of topic today, that sounds... Talk about our film of to- topic? Is that what I said? Yeah, that's... It's not so good, man. Yeah, it's not so swish. I also think we need to stop. You know what? We're gonna. I want to keep this in our. I I need to stop pretending like we're hiding what the movie of our focus is going to be for this, and just say it. Yeah, because it's not like people don't click on the the episode, the name of the movie. Okay, so before we start talking about the Manchurian Candidate today, we will of course always bring you some recommendations for the week. Ian, who was going first this week? I I would love to go first. Great. What do you got for us? I have Thunder Road film by uh, a fairly new filmmaker, Jim Cummings. Oh, this, is this last year? Yeah, no, it did really well at uh, South by Southwest. Yes, okay. And Sundance. I think it was at Sundance. Yes, I, I definitely... Know, definitely South, South by Southwest. Southwest. Yeah. Yes, I know nothing about it, but it, it's one of those like, oh, I've heard people talk about this before. Well, so yeah, I, what's it about? I felt like I felt like I had to watch it because on, on Twitter, you know, I, I, I so if anybody doesn't know, Adam runs the Facebook and I run the Twitter when you interact with us on social media. And uh, Jim Cummings actually liked a handful of our tweets. Hey! Yeah, so that, that was kind of nice. That kind of made me feel good. I was like, hey, there's an emerging filmmaker out there who is interested in what we're doing so that's fantastic that made that really made my day so it's the first time hearing about this that's fucking fantastic if you're listening to this jim thank you so much for the uh you know the the follow i'm gonna make a moment i'm I'm, jim cummings if you're listening i'm gonna make it uh, uh a definite agenda item for me to watch this within the next week and it's it's exactly your kind of movie it's fantastic he is he so he stars in it as well as directing it and they did the same thing um kind of the whiplash did is to where they filmed uh just a piece of it and and turned that into a short film and it was kind of like a, a proof of concept you know that they could actually do the whole feature so yeah. the the short is actually the first i think 10 or 10 or 12 minutes of the movie and it's all one be- one beautiful long take of this uh cop who is recently uh recently separated from his wife going through a divorce they've got a very young child and um his mother has just died so the beginning of the film is the the funeral of his mom and he has something of a uh, an emotional breakdown at the funeral um kind of disrespectful there's like somebody filming it and everything it's yeah it's no. really messed up the whole the, and the name comes from the bruce springsteen song thunder road okay. which his mom was a a dancer and a choreographer and so he was going to at the funeral he was going to do a dance to one of her favorite songs which is thunder road but of course there's this whole series of unfortunate things like things not working out like the little radio that he's brought with the cd in it like the batteries go dead and 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 it's just uh it's very it is very funny but also very heartbreaking and it's just again there there is a plot that kind of runs through it and a whole him dealing with anger issues and um potentially losing custody of his daughter uh, there's a brilliant scene outside of the cop shop when things are really coming to a head with a great moment that I don't want to ruin for anybody because it's such a beautiful reveal. It's so well shot. I just it's gonna sound like I'm just kissing his ass here all the way through this thing, but it is a <laughs> it is a better than average debut, and I'm super excited to see what the next thing he's gonna do is, which people are I can actually invest in. 
the new film that he's making. He's actually put it up there. So where it's not just like a Kickstarter thing where you throw money into it. It is actually an investment, and they are going to actually return oh, all okay. people's investment. All right. Which is really exciting. Uh, so yeah, Thunder Road. Uh, as of this recording, it's on Prime. Oh, great. Okay, I was gonna say. Yeah, it's, and it's always. I mean, and it's super short. It's like an hour and twenty minutes. It's a super okay. brief watch, but I mean, every minute is is filled with something interesting to look at or a very very good performance. The supporting cast is is great as well. Um, the little girl that plays his daughter is she's wonderful. It's one of the the better child performances in recent years. Awesome. Yeah, and it, he has a. He has a he has a lot of highs that he has to hit in this thing as far as a, a acting is concerned. I mean, I, I think you you as an actor will find a lot to appreciate in it. Great, awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to watch it. Yeah, I'm excited to hear what you think about it. Okay, awesome. Um, so uh, my recommendation this week is a movie that I am I was actually genuinely shocked to find out wasn't in the book, and I I don't know why I thought it was, and it's a movie that I I don't I've only ever seen once, and it's old. It's 99 and you say that old, like well, 20 years 20 ago. 20 years. That's, that's. I mean, okay, in terms of only seen a movie once. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I saw you. this movie in high school at some point. I don't remember when. But I, I liked it so much when I watched it, but I hadn't seen it since. And Melissa had never seen it. It's like, okay, we're going to sit down and watch this movie. And so I, I revisited for only the second time The Insider by Michael Mann. Um, and mostly because I wanted to, to see, does this movie live up in my mind as good as I as I remember it, and uh, the answer to that question is uh, fuck yes, it does. Um, Which is typical of most Michael Mann films. I feel like he is one of our more underrated or undervalued directors, anyway. Yeah. So, if, and if for some reason you haven't seen this movie, which it, it's one of those things where it did, it actually, I don't think it, it either just barely broke even or lost money. It was not a box office success, but it was nominated for I think seven Academy Awards, including some of the big ones: picture, director, actor, adapted screenplay, editing. You know, some some pivotal awards. Um, it was the year American Beauty like swept everything. Um, but if you don't know this movie, so it, it follows uh, Russell Crowe plays Jeffrey Wigand, who was a um. A tobacco scientist at Brown and Williamson and is fired because he has a disagreement with his boss over basically the manipulation of the nicotine in cigarettes. And Al Pacino plays Lowell Bergman, who is a producer on uh, 60 Minutes. And Lowell Bergman gets these documents and basically he wants Russell Crowe to just talk about what these documents are. One thing leads to another. And Russell Crowe decides that he's going to break his confidentiality agreement and go on 60 Minutes. And that's that's basically the plot. And um, what makes this movie so great is it's one of Pacino's last great performances. You know, it's this any given Sunday insomnia, and then you're you're done. Then that's that's the last really. I mean, he does some, uh, he does some interesting things on HBO, but oh, in terms I'm, of movies, I'm glad you mentioned yeah. that because I I loved the the Kevorkian one, and I actually recently just watched um, the Phil Spector one. I haven't seen. I mean, his his Roy Cohn in Angels in America is it's really good. Oh, it's it's flawless. Um, but Russell Crowe is, is basically just emerging in the U.S. And this is the follow-up to L.A. Confidential. And I, I think he knocks it out of the park in this. It's it's really great. Michael Mann is is just this – is, this is when he starts that really close, like, the jaw, that really tight shot over the shoulder. And I, I just love the way he directs this movie. It's a really compelling story. And I think we take for granted now that cigarettes are bad. You know, but this movie, it's its a slight period piece. It's set in the early 90s, like 92, 93, I think. Um, but we didn't know how bad it was. We didn't know that Big Tobacco was actually manipulating the nicotine and making it more addictive. And anyways, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the performances in this movie... I mean, Crow and Pacino are great, but there's a huge uh, onslaught of those guys. Like, you, oh, you've seen him in that. I've seen him in that. I've seen him in that. It's a great, great cast. It's a great, compelling. Well, I think it's it's the best Christopher Plummer performance. Oh, as um um as uh, Mike Wallace. Yeah, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher Plummer is fantastic in it. Philip Baker he has, Hall is in it. He it, has that big speech, doesn't he, about what it used to mean to be a journalist? Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. is breathtaking stuff. Yeah, and, and and the way that I I gush over the master and any of the um the scenes between Philip Seymour Hoffman and, and Joaquin Phoenix is like master classes in acting. Any of the scenes with Pacino and Russell Crowe and any of the scenes with just Pacino and Christopher Plummer are fantastic. They are it, they're fantastic scenes, and 
I, I own a very, very old DVD copy of this movie, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure you can rent it on any of the platforms. I, oh, well, I uh, highly I recommend this. I think it's owned by by Disney. It's uh, yes. Um, so they're not they're not great about their back catalog of no, some especially of their live action yeah. stuff that they did under the either the Hollywood Pictures banner or I want to say it was Vista. Buena Vista. I think yeah. it was Buena Vista. Yeah. Um, but anyway, do what you can to watch this movie because it's oh my god, it is phenomenal, and it it's Michael Mann had some lows. I mean, there are some movies that he made that aren't great, um, but Black Hat being one of them. Uh, I, um, I was going to go with Miami Vice. It's just not that great. Oh, man, that breaks it's my cheeky. heart. It's cheeky. It's cheeky, but it's not good. Yeah. Well, the, the, there's a longer cut, and it's not that much longer, but it, there are some oh really God. there are some really good improvements. Michael Mann and his cuts. I Anyways. know. There's been four different cuts of Ali now, I think, or at least three. God, I, I, yeah. There's definitely two of Last of the Mohicans. I do like that movie. I, I love that one. Anyways, so yeah, uh, um, The Insider and uh, Thunder Road. Those are our recommendations this week. Um, and so we are talking today, though. Our, our, the main film we're talking about is uh, The Manchurian Candidate, 1962. Uh, this is directed by John Frankenheimer, and it is written by George Axelrod, which is based off of the novel by Richard Condon. Um, before we even, I guess, break through to some of the things, this movie... Is, is basically made because of Frank Sinatra. Frankenheimer and Axelrod are obviously a big part of it, and everybody, those three guys also, like, produced it and and were all the sort of the creative minds behind it, but it's those, Sinatra's the big, this movie gets made because Sinatra wants to do it. Well, and did you also, in your in your note-taking or research, did you find out that Frankenheimer wasn't his, whatever the picture he had done previously, his next choice was actually... Uh, an adaptation of Richard Yates' Revolutionary Road, which oh. wouldn't get made until 2008 when Sam Mendes took it on. Well, and, and what I will say is, I did I did not know that. And what I can say is, is the movies of Frankenheimer's that I have seen and then looking at um, his other films he's directed, gotta say I'm glad he didn't get a chance to direct that. Yeah, he had some, I mean, his highs were high, but his lows were just miserably low. I, I have two movies of his that I enjoy, but we'll, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. Um, so this cast, obviously, uh, Frank Sinatra plays Major Bennett Marco. Lawrence Harvey plays Raymond Shaw. Janet Lee, somehow third build in this movie, plays uh, <laughs> Rosie. I, I was going to bring that up. I'm so frustrated that Angela Lansbury's name I don't understand that was not, all. like, it wasn't huge on any of the posters. Uh, it's not on the cover of the Criterion. Um, Angela Lansbury playing uh, Mrs. Eleanor Shaw Iceland, who is just uh, marvelous in this movie. Uh, Henry Silva playing Chumjin, uh, James Gregory playing Senator John Iceland, uh, Leslie Parrish playing Jocelyn Jordan, John McGiver playing Senator Thomas Jordan, and the only other one I had that I was going to reference by name was, and I'm going to say it wrong, is it Key? That was going to be my guess, yeah. Key Dai? Yeah. Okay. We're going to go with Key Dai, who plays Dr. Yen Lo, or if you don't know my name, basically the guy who's sort of heading the, um, the brainwashing. Yeah. It made it made his living on uh, Hawaii Five O. Oh, is that, that it? Yeah, he was on that for years. There you go. Um, so John Frankenheimer does have one other movie in the book. Um, it's called Seconds from 1966. I have not seen this movie. I have not seen that one either. Okay, so I did not write down all of John Frankenheimer's movies, but I pulled out some notable ones for for one reason or the other. Um, feel free to throw in some of yours if I don't mention them. Um, he's the one who decided to pick up the reins of the French Connection and direct. The French Connection 2. I, I love French Connection 2. I, I have think not it's, seen it. It's one of the best sequels of all time. The okay. Hackman has an incredible... You you, on the surface, it looks like just another, oh, it's a fish out of water kind of guy. He's in France. He's looking for um, the Francisco Ray character. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he, there's a sequence in that where they kidnap him and they force inject heroin into him. And like leave him locked up in this room for days and days, and they keep they they let him come down, and then they hit him again, and this just goes on and on and on, and it is, it is Hackman's least appreciated performance. It is absolutely mind blowing how good Hackman is in this. Okay, all right, um, there you go. Um, so there we go. We'll, we'll do we'll do like the uh, sort of good movie, bad movie, good movie, bad movie. How about that? Yeah. Um, he's also uh, on my. I had a, I had a non recommend not too long ago called The Island of Doctor Moreau. Which, of course, Frankenheimer took over. He wasn't supposed to direct it, uh, yet his name is attached to it. And uh, 
it's one of those things where, you know, the director takes a lot of the credit uh, and also will take a lot of the blame. And so he gets to live with that on his uh, his resume. Sorry about that. Um, but he does follow that up with one of my favorite action movies ever, Ronin. I adore Ronin. Hated, um, hated it the first time I saw it. I think just because I was too young, I wasn't really into appreciating those kind of slow burn uh, action thrillers. But I, I just bought it probably a year ago and rewatched it. I, well, I just fell in love with this thing. It's so good. And yeah, and I think, you know, I, I, maybe we'll have to do this as a side topic someday we record, but like our favorite, favorite car chase scenes, because the one in this, it, or sorry, the one in Ronin is real good. I really, really like the car oh, chase in that. Um, so then, but, and, and now you, and I didn't actually write this down, but I believe the last film, the last television movie or like movie he made is Reindeer Games. That's that's a sad one to go out. That's on. a tough beat. That's a tough beat. Um, there's a wonderful episode of How Did This Get Made where they talk about how, um, Reindeer Games. Uh, it's yeah, that's that's too bad. But no. he seems like a very much like a journeyman director, right? He didn't. I wouldn't say that he he wasn't like a like a, a director who found a project and like grasped it early on. It was like, I'm going to make this movie because it's something that I want to make. He just seemed to kind of take the pictures almost like a sign to him. That's kind of the way that I, I kind of looked at it. Yeah. I could, I could looking at his filmography. I think that's a fair statement. Yeah. I mean, I'm, of course I'm I not having seen Ranger games. I have been told that Gary Sinise is actually pretty good in it. He's okay. He he's, it's almost like Gary Sinise is doing his best Nick Cage. Oh, and, not, okay, I, that's and weird. I don't mean I don't mean in terms of imp- impressions, but like you know, to go full cage, like yeah. I think he's going full Sinise in the in in Reindeer Games. <laughs> Whatever that means, I, I, it, it, it's the most amped up version of Gary Sinise. I feel uh, like so way way over the top, more so than Lieutenant Dan. Then, well, yeah, because even Lieutenant Dan has his low moments. <laughs> Anyways, let's let's get let's get to some accolades if you don't mind. Um. This movie was nominated for two Academy Awards. Um, it uh, was nominated for Best Editing, but it did not win. Uh, it lost to Lawrence of Olivia. Lawrence Olivia, no, Lawrence of Arabia is what it lost to. Which, of course, I mean, yeah, you know, in any other year, I I still don't think Manchurian Candidate really would have had a chance. But when yeah. you're up against Lawrence of Arabia, we have some of the best. And we talked a little bit about some of the best cuts yeah. in movie history. Like everybody, everybody should have just gone home that year. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, now I, I didn't I didn't underline this, but um, uh, Angela Lansbury won, right? Uh, no, she okay. lost. Oh, she to, did lose. Okay, she lost to Patty Duke, who was playing Helen Keller in The Miracle. Okay, Worker, great. Which okay. again, I mean, they're they're not gonna not vote for the Helen Keller movie. Well, you know, I so I, my no, so but anyways, my notes are correct. I didn't I didn't mark it that she won, but she did win the Golden Globe for best supporting actress. Um although John Fickenheimer was nominated um and lost. We'll get into this in a second, but I got a real problem with him being nominated for anything for this movie, but we'll we'll get into that. Um I was nominated at the BAFTA for best um f- uh, film from any source, is that the titling yeah, of it? That's, okay. that's the way they word it or the way they used to word it anyway. Gotcha. Um, uh, it was he, uh, John Frankenheimer got a DGA nomination um, for two movies that year, actually. This and Birdman of Alcatraz. Oh, there you go. Oh, because that, that's how. But isn't that usually how the DGA does? Or wait, no, that's not how the DGA does it. it I was thinking of the National Board of Review will kind of do it, like for an actor, they'll give multiple. Yeah, it's for kind of for like the year yeah, in review yeah. sort of thing. And I mean, I we don't have to guess who what and who he lost to. Ooh. It was Lawrence, or Lawrence oh, of Arabia. Yeah. It was, you I know, it just, was David Lane. I David got Lane, you. I'm yeah. just giving you shit. Um, uh, um, uh, Angela Lansbury did win Best Supporting Actress for the National Board of Review. Hey, Ian, was this film inducted into the National Film Registry? 1994. There you go. So we have that. Um, here's a fun thing. I, I and This doesn't need to be a long conversation, but so in the original AFI Top 100, this was ranked number 61. That's impressive. On the 2007 list, it was gone. Not on it. Interesting. <sighs> to make way for great movies like The Lord of the Rings and Intolerance. Although I don't think any of those movies plus this one should be on that list. Yeah, but yeah. anyways, um, and then the other the, the other one I had, which I think is just silly, is um in 07, the AFI made a bunch of a bunch of different lists, laughs, thrillers, and they also did heroes and villains. And Eleanor Iceland is ranked number 21 on the villains list. 
which I think is apropos. I I like that. I do too. Lansbury is stunning in this. Yeah. Um, It has a Rotten Tomato score of 98 with an audience review of 90. Judging by your tone, I'm going to assume you think that's high. I think it's a little high. I think it's a little high. Um, Did you have any... You know what? And I'm asking if you have any critical reviews, but... We all know which one... That I, at least I sought it out. I don't know if you did. I did not. I got Bosley Crowther. Well, that's, that's why wouldn't I have Bosley Crowther? I don't know. We we love him here at this show. We do. So go go ahead and go ahead and read his thing. I, I, well, I, no, anyways, I just wanted to, first. I wanted to comment on your movies that are this old. It really is tough to find anything that isn't just a summation of the plot. And that's again, Crowther did a little bit of that. It's this one is a little bit of both. Yeah, but it is. There's a little less summation in this one than I think his usual ones, but it's still kind of prevalent. Sure. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, so we've got Bosley Crowther writing for the New York Times in 1962 said, The nature of the plot and its key figure here in this country when finally revealed are so fantastic that one is suspicious of the author's sincerity. With that said, however, it must be added that the film is so artfully contrived, the plot so interestingly started, the dialogue so racy and sharp, and John Frankenheimer's direction is so exciting in the style of Orson Welles when he was making Citizen Kane. I'm sure you're going to want to deal with that here in a second. And other pictures that the fascination of it is strong. So many fine cinematic touches and action details pop up that one keeps wishing the subject would develop into something more than it does. Uh, and then he, he goes on to talk about the cast a little bit. His final line is, with so much in it that examples a dynamic use of the screen, it is too bad the Manchurian candidate has put has so little to put across. So I think I think he found things to appreciate in it, but overall wasn't totally impressed. Yeah, so I, I just want to read a little bit from the end of the, uh, I got the Hollywood Reporter review, um, uh, James Powers wrote, and this is just, this is him talking about more of the production side of it. He said, uh, Lionel Linden's black-and-white photography uses lighting adroitly, mixing styles without diffusing cohesion. Richard Silbert's production design gives backing and some insight to narrative. George R. Nelson's set decoration is meticulous. David Amron's music is creative and supplementary vein to the visual. This is my favorite one. Joe Edmondson's sound is good. Period. <laughs> Ferris Webster's <laughs> editing helps the story's many moods and its unusual tempos. Um, okay, let's... I want to just jump into to a, a big nitpick right away, but instead, the brief summation of the plot. Um, this movie starts in Korea, nineteen fifty-two, um, and uh, um, Shaw is the sergeant, Sergeant Shaw, um, and he his the men beneath him aren't really the big fans of him. Um, he goes to call them in; they're in some kind of a brothel esque place, um, not behaving as soldiers maybe should when they're on duty. Um, and we cut to what is it, about about a year later, maybe. I don't know. I forget what I the think jump it's supposed is. To be, I think it's supposed to be two years. Okay, there you go. Um, and Shaw is returning home um, to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor uh, because he basically he helped save his um, his platoon from certain death. He lost a couple of men in the process, but he's he's a big hero. And then uh, Bennett Marco uh, Sinatra, along with um, other members of the platoon, are starting to have these dreams and. Uh, one thing I will give Frankenheimer credit for is these brainwashing dreams. I think they're actually really well done. Basically, what we come to find out is that these men were, have been brainwashed and um, two of the men were killed, um, both by Shaw, and that he's not really a hero, but that he was meant to look like one. Um, Sinatra, as uh, Marco, starts to kind of flush this out and and starts to go down the path of figuring out what happened. Um, nobody wants to hear him. Throughout the process, um, Shaw's mom, uh, Eleanor Iceland Shaw, uh, Angela Lansbury, and her now husband, the senator, uh, Senator Iceland, are basically getting ready to, to for a big run to be the vice president nominee. Uh, and then Shaw himself starts to kind of get some of these flashes. And um, Chunjin is the guy who... Rats he was, out. He, he was kind of their guide yes. while they were there. It kind of sells them out. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of you know who did what to who. We meet Janet Lee for some reason. She serves absolutely no purpose and, in this film, and we will get None. into that as well. Um, I don't mean to skip over a bunch because I want to get into the I want to get into the meat, the the nitty gritty. 
Um, there's a rival senator, Senator Jordan, and his daughter, Jocelyn. Shaw and Jocelyn had a thing, and the mom kind of pushed them away. Shaw says, fuck it, I'm going to marry her anyway. Um, but because of this, he he can easily be, um, I don't say re-brainwashed, but put into a trance. Yeah, he can be by triggered. This, by He's this phrase, his, his do you want to play a little solitaire, or a little game of solitaire, something like that. And that, that, that triggers this state, and within it, he can basically take any operative given to him. He kills the senator, he kills the senator senator's daughter, and we're made to believe that the next thing he's going to do is to kill the, the presidential nominee, uh, thereby having the vice president, his stepdad, be the main nominee to go forward. Jumping right to the end, Shaw doesn't go through with it. Shaw actually uh, kills his stepdad and his mom and then ultimately kills himself. And that is the very bad, bare-bones plot of The Manchurian Candidate. This credit of, of Frankenheimer's directing. The first thing I want to... And I want to just... There, there's a really there's really great moments and then really shitty moments. A really great moment of directing is I think that entire brainwashing sequence. Oh, that that camera move. I'll get right to it. That's my favorite shot in the whole movie. Absolutely, that camera move, moving around the room, showing you exactly what's happening because they believe that they are at some hotel where this lady is doing some symposium yeah, on, on hydrangeas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you come to realize that, oh, no, they're they're in a communist facility. There are communist generals and officials all there watching this demonstration yes. by Dr. Yen. And I, it, it's great. I love the moment where he shoots. The, that it's, the, it's the young yes. guy. They say you could consider him our mascot. Yeah. And then there's the, the hanging pictures of Stalin and Mao behind yes. them. And yeah. the blood splatter all over. I believe it's Stalin. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's it's kind of bold and daring. Yes, for, no, uh, for a film of this this time period from the nineteen sixties. We also have to remember that this came out in the height of um, the Red Scare. Well, one the Red Scare and two uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, this okay. came out yes. the very same day that that conflict was at its peak because the uh, um, some U.S. Navy ship and some Soviet cargo ship had actually almost come to blows and taken the cold war from being cold to a very active shooting war yeah of course the the cold war the uh the 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 whole cuban missile crisis was over about a week later but this came out at the perfect time they couldn't have timed this any better if they tried one thing i think we forget too is just how coming out of the cold war you know we didn't live in that moment and it's weird to think about how high tensions were and and i you know i and I can't really speak to any direct knowledge about this, but whether or not kind of where we are now with Russia, if I know it's not, I know we're not close to what the cold war was, but you know what that was really like to think at any day, you know, it just going to, it's just going to take one person to make a bad decision. And now, yeah, we go from a cold war to a very hot war very quickly. Um, and it's, and, and that, that, that three sixty shot, but also the editing, you know, there, there are scenes where, it's it's the women talking, but it's the it's the officials listening, and and the way that that it's it's it it you uh, know it it's it's it almost looks like it wasn't staged very well, but you know it's the it, like it's the dreams not quite syncing up, and that's where the issues is is they're not dreaming the correct thing anymore, they're not remembering it correctly. It's and I just thought that was that was really unique, really great storytelling. It's fantastic. I love the, the the back and forth there, and sometimes you're sometimes you're in the the old lady's hydrania world, and then sometimes you're in the communist world. And I, that was actually part of Bosley Crowther's criticism is believing that all of this could be done to these guys in just three days, and two years later, the impact of it is still you're still able to to brainwash, you're still able to trigger the brainwashing. Yeah. But I, I love the idea, the way you phrased it, of the dreams not syncing up, and that some of some of the actuality is starting to seep in. Yeah. Because you know, it's all there in their subconscious. Yeah. And so some of it is starting to break through. I love. There's also a a line that Sinatra has where he finally gets Shaw alone and has figured out. Well, one, the solitaire is the keyword, and then two, seeing the Queen of Diamonds is what allows you to to offer him any order and he'll follow it out and when he's got just the full deck of the queen of diamonds he says all right let's start opening some doors yeah i think that's 
I think that is the best that Sinatra, and not having seen a ton of his stuff, but having a sort of basic understanding. I mean, he just, he was Frank pretty much in everything he did. He's not, yeah. he's not an actor. So this leads to my, to my, the low direction of this. And, and I'm going to preface this by saying, I feel like critics sometimes will give more credit due than where it actually is. So that scene you were just talking about, with all the Queen of Diamonds and, and uh, Marco is interrogating Shaw. Are you going to talk about the shot that's out of focus? Oh, yeah. Oh, of course I'm going to talk about that. So uh, just for, for our listeners' sake, Marco basically finally gets Shaw in a room and, has, like as you said, has an entire deck of Queen of Diamonds cards, gets him into that state, keeps flipping these Queen of Diamonds so he can ask him a question and get these answers. Part light-induced, part drug. Uh, I... I just love I love Lawrence Harvey. Sorry, I didn't so, mean to Oh no, Laura, there, but... Harvey's great in this. Yeah. Um so Shaw is um perfectly shot, totally in focus. Frank Sinatra is not. It's pretty bad. It's very much not in focus. They, now they tried to pass that off as an artistic decision, oh my, but do, but do yes, you know the real reason? That's my problem. Is yeah. that critics would say, "Oh no, this is this was Shaw seeing Marco in his in his in his distorted state of mind." Um, when there's been nothing like that prior with Shaw doing this. And what actually happened is um, this was Sinatra's first take. It was his best take. He didn't get any better while he was in focus. And, and Frankenheimer, basically probably being steamrolled by Sinatra, decided, no, 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 we'll just use this. Well, that's that's what they'd said, that Sinatra was always best on his first or second take. You were never going to get anything else out of him. And, th- and that's what I read, too. And I guess my, my the biggest problem I have with this is if that's well known and, and all the, all the behind the scenes footage I, I saw everything I read about this movie leads to that that Sinatra was a one and two take guy anything after that you either weren't going to get it or it wasn't going to be good so be prepared I guess and and I think that's actually really lazy shitty filmmaking on the part of John Frankenheimer that that is what's in the movie now minds out there will do this oh no it's it's, it's Shaw's distorted state of mind like no no, we are adding that on top of it. I, I think you're putting a little bit too much blame on Frankenheimer there. I think most of the blame resides with Sinatra because, again, in the reading, I found that Sinatra insisted on seeing every piece of footage they had. He was very controlling over this picture and very... People have said that he was difficult to work with, even though on this film it seemed like Axelrod and, and um, Frankenheimer loved working with him. They said he was he's very amenable... But it's I also feel guy, like but... that was very much like a bosom buddy thing. Like, yeah, it, it, the three of those guys just seemed. I watched a, a kind of a retrospective with the three. Like the first time the three of them had been in the same room in however many years. Yeah, to that, talk about I think it. that's on the criteria. It is. Yeah, I was yeah. like, God, what a bunch of just the good old boys. Yeah. It, yes. Yeah, exactly. Exact, exactly. Good old boys. But I mean, also in the reading, and again, who knows how much of this is true? Because so much of that trivia on IMDb, some of it is user created. But they're, yeah, I I have to assume it's true with Sinatra that he would not because he would never go to bed before five. He just couldn't. He was, you know, he's a, he's a lounge act. He's a, he's a Vegas guy. He's used to those kind of late nights bleeding into early mornings, never could get to sleep before five in the morning. And so therefore shooting days wouldn't start until noon. Yeah. It, it just seemed like he, he was a diva kind of before we really coined the term diva, I guess. Well, and and I'm the his control over this movie um, is a lot of what I want to bring up a couple episodes from now um, regarding another very famous person and a very iconic movie. So I, I'm curious, and I and I'm, I'm jumping the gun here. Unsung heroes. I'm curious if you have one and and and, and who it is if you do. I was I well I wanted to highlight, and I don't know if he's an unsung hero because of course he got the nomination. But Ferris Webster, I think, is is one of the things that really say he saves sequences of this movie. He doesn't save the movie entirely because it is too long. And Janet Lee serves, as I mentioned just a minute ago, she serves zero purpose. We, I want to get into her, but keep 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 but, going. Uh, I wanted to bring up Ferris Webster simply because he's from here. He's a Seattle-born guy, ah. born in Seattle in 1912, and um, he was nominated two other times. He was nominated for. Um, the Great Escape uh, was one of them, uh, which lost to How the West Was Won. But I just I wanted to like bring. He's a local guy, so I just wanted yeah. to be like I, he may not be the unsung hero, but shout out for the guy from Seattle. There you go. So I really I'm giving mine to John McGiver, who played Senator Jordan. Oh, he's wonderful in it. Man, in a movie filled with a lot of 
almost mustache twirling performances. I am not a big fan of um, Senator Iceland. I did not like him. I, I get what they were going for with well, that. He's, he's just supposed life. to be McCarthy. But I just, I just didn't. I didn't really, I didn't really follow him. And, and Lansbury's great. And so, and like Lansbury and Harvey are fantastic. But they're they're big in the movie, and, and they all got a lot of credit for. It. But I thought, I thought McGiver did a really nice, understated, very believable job. Um, I don't know what it was about him. I liked him as a dad in it. I I really liked he he I, he seemed like he really cared about Shaw more than maybe not maybe not his daughter, but more than almost anybody else in the movie. Because we clearly know that his mom isn't. She's not she's not caring all that much. Um, anyways, I just wanted to give out some love to him early on before we probably start diving more into Sinatra and Lee and the the big players in the movie. Um, yeah, no, I love as as much as I love the shot the 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 three sixty degree in the brainwashing. I do I do love the scene his death scene. I think he's wonderful in that. Yeah, and so is uh, just the three of them together. I mean, you really in the flashback sequences, you really felt a lot of chemistry. I think between them. It's yeah. Like, oh, this looks like you. You have this great juxtaposition of oh, look at what a proper nuclear family is supposed to look like, as opposed to this really fucked up relationship between him and his mom. Yeah. And the mom and the senator. And while we're on that subject really quickly, so in the book... Yeah, yeah, go ahead. In the book, she does actually brainwash him. She does actually trigger him and then use that to have sex with him. Yes. Probably. There is, like, full-on incest in the book. I did like Lansbury talking uh, on the Criterion feature about... Uh, and, again, Frankenheimer giving a good piece of direction, wanting to keep this in the movie but not, but not you know, scare people, uh, covering, covering her face with her hand for the kiss is great because... We don't really see a lot of it, but we know what it is. And, and actually, God, I, it's and like, we know how passionate it looks, and it's uh, it's really unsettling. We and I, I'm gonna, I'm going to say right now, I don't know whether or not this should be in the book right now, and that's part of this conversation is going to be where do I get to at the end of it. But again, then we flip we flip from that bad out of focus thing to now this piece of direction of covering covering the mouth for the kiss is great for that time. It's gonna you're gonna be able to keep it in the movie, but we know what's going on, and we're supposed to feel weird about it, and that that's the point. Obviously, being toned down from the book, which is yeah, that that just wasn't gonna fly. No, no, I don't think so. Uh, there, well, it's okay. I, well, I'm, I'm interested to hear that you're you're not sure. I that, that gives me hope because I'll I'll just spoil the game right now. I do think it should be in. Sure. So I'm I'm kind of interested to see if I can bring you around to uh, to my thinking. Well, now let's 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 talk a little bit about. So let, let's we'll look at good things and bad things. So we were, we I just gave Frank Frankenheimer a pretty good compliment. Let's go in the other direction now. Janet Lee and why is she in this movie? I think it seems like some people had theorized that she was supposed to be another agent because you have the scene where they meet on the train. And, and I think Sinatra is really good in that. It's really interesting to see him play a kind of weaker, somewhat broken man. Yeah. I don't think it's... I don't, I'm not totally convinced by it because, I mean, he's still Frank. Yeah. He's still, he's still old blue eyes. And I... And I, I it's and it's one of those things where it's... A, it's That scene on the train is really interesting. It's not a bad scene by any means. It just... I think it belongs in a different movie. Yeah. I don't quite know why, why it's important. Um, and I don't know why... Like I said, if she if she's either a red herring or she's another another agent because she for, she tries to force him to remember certain things. Now, and so you think, oh, this is a form of brainwashing can, as well. Is this a good time to bring up the Jonathan Demi version of this movie? I saw it when it came out, and I haven't seen it since, and I cannot remember a single thing about it other than the fact that Liev Schreiber is in it. Okay, and I think he's actually running. They cut the middleman out, and I think he's running for vice president directly. Yes. yes. Now we did. Re- it's on Prime, so we watched it about a week ago, and just to be like, okay, let's. I might as well. It's on there. It's free. Let's watch it. The we'll call it the Janet Lee character in that movie, and I, I'm going to phrase it that way because I don't know what the actress's name is. She does turn out to be. Um, I don't know if she's FBI or something, but she does turn out to be a somebody like yeah, that. Yeah, she has some purpose, yes. right? And it was really interesting because because I remember I remember because again I saw it probably back in 04. I remember this being a like a Hollywood video three for twenty purchase. And I saw, oh, Denzel's in this. I'll, I'll snag this. Watch it when I was probably a senior in high school and thought, oh yeah, that's good. Because what did I know back then? But there are parts of that movie that I think are far superior. Um, I got to say, Jeffrey Wright 
is in that movie for like three minutes and gives one of the best performances that's been captured on film. Um, and if, uh, you, Ian, but anybody listening, go watch his he, – he kind of um, pulls Denzel aside after this opening like assembly he's at and gives one of the best scenes I've ever seen in my life. Now, does he – again, because it's been so long, I don't remember really So, anything. you know, the, the – um, I, I don't know the actor's name, but the there's the black soldier in this who has the first bad dream. Oh, he's that part. That's Yeah, yeah essentially. Okay. And he basically pulls um, Denzel, who is the Sinatra character – to ask if he's been having these dreams and oh my God. And it's that it's the only time Jonathan Demi gets to do that really tight Jonathan Demi close up on both of them. Fuck me. It is, it is astounding how good Jeffrey Wright is in that movie. I mean, he's good in everything, but he is, he is real good in that. I, I miss those Jonathan Demi. Yeah, I do too, man. I, I, I do he's too. He's one of these guys. He went way, I'm not going to say he went too young, but I mean, younger than he should have, obviously. I mean, he's a, he's a presence that I really miss yeah. in film. And just while we're on the, I actually had some numbers on on the remake, oh, sure. just to have some some comparison. Yeah. So we mentioned that the original, the one we're talking about, uh, had a ninety eight percent and a ninety audience. So the Demi remake, this is really interesting, eighty percent, sixty three audience. Oh. So I mean, I remember it. I mean, and I looked at the the how much it made as well. I've got that. Uh, so the 2004 remake cost 80 million dollars, and that's and let's just before you launch into that, that's got to be that's Denzel and Streep are in this movie, so, so a, a huge chunk of that yeah. is them. Um, whereas opposed to the original, which only cost 2.7, I'm uh, sorry, it cost 2.2. But here's the thing: again, like you just mentioned, a lot of that had to be for Streep and Denzel in the new one. Well, a million of that Thank 2. You for bringing 2 this up. was Sinatra, and 200000 was for Lawrence Harvey. So they literally had a million dollars to make this movie. Yes, yeah. Which I think they did an incredible job, even back in the day, just having a million dollars to oh, pull yes. this thing off. Oh, yes, very much. I, I would it's agree a with that. Herculean feat, I think. But uh, oh, Sorry, keep going. But, uh, so, yeah, you could say that the, the 2000... So, I, I said that number... Earlier, the 2.7 million is actually what it made back domestically. So I mean, it made some money, not a ton, but it made some money back. Uh, same with the uh, the 2004 remake, cost 80 million, but it only made 96 worldwide, and yeah. 66 of that was was here in the states. So I don't think this is, this is a story that people are really, or they certainly weren't interested in seeing it again. Well, and this one obviously changes. It's a desert storm. Um, it, it's a little bit different in terms of the. It's not really. It's not really brainwashing. It's more. Um, like there's there's things implanted in their brains. That's part of it. Um, we lose a lot of the like Meryl Streep does fine in it, but it we she's not as manipulative. Um, she is still can she is still the one behind it in this one, but it's it doesn't really come to any kind of great conclusion, and it cops out a lot actually. Um, it tries to give it a happy ending. Which doesn't I don't think is supposed to work for this. No, I mean, and he, the, the original doesn't have, really have a happy ending. No, no. And, it, and circling back to Janet Lee, this is the reason I feel I feel like Janet Lee is in it just to justify that end scene. Well, so that Sinatra has a pretty face to to act against, and so he gets to have the moment of reading off the Medal of Honor winners and reading why they gave Shaw the Medal of Honor. Yeah. And, you know, to have his little moment of breakdown and to have that with somebody who, again, I'm almost certain they probably just cast Janet Lee just because she was a pretty face at the time. Sure. Well, and something I read, too, that I think is just interesting. It's not important to the movie at all, but apparently she was served divorce papers the day that she shot that scene on the train. Jamie Lee Curtis said this in, later on in an interview that that's, that's what happened, which just seems like obviously the worst timing and that she was served divorce papers, even though I'm pretty sure um, historically Tony Curtis was the one who was like a cheating piece of shit. Um, I think it's interesting that she's the one served divorce papers. I, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't want to take anything away from Janet Lee as an actress. Cause she's a wonderful actress. Oh yeah. Yeah. But she just, she's, what is she, what is she doing in this? I would film? say she's, I would say she's good in this. It's just, yeah, it's confusing as to why she's in this movie at all. And it can help. I, as I said, I think it's a little too long. You lose Janet Lee. There you go. There's ten minutes of the movie, gone. Yeah, perfect. And it's not like it's a long movie, but it, but I hear you. It, 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 it would it streamline it. It would yeah. help it move along. Yeah. Oh, um, something else I wanted to bring up. So there was a kind of a long-standing rumor that this film was pulled out of circulation because of the JFK assassination and this whole idea of conspiracies and things. And apparently, 
what like Sinatra and some of the other producers later on was that's that's not true. Well, no, because it wasn't pulled from circulation until 1972. Yeah, it just wasn't. It just wasn't doing so well. Yeah. You know, people weren't going to see it. And then what I kind of love read later on is when it kind of was kind of re-released, if you will, that college age kids really started enjoying it and thinking, oh, this is interesting and, and getting back into it. And it sort of had a renaissance, I think in the eighties is sort of when it kind of really Yeah, I think it came been, back into consciousness. I read, I read that it had a screening at the New York Film Festival like eighty seven or eighty eight. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I read that too. So are we are we continuing to say say negative things or do you want to swing back the other way and be positive? No, let's swing back. Okay. Let's swing back. Yeah. I mean between the scenes with Harvey and Lansbury are great. I mean, I, I think that they're in it, and I, I also, I, I do, I always love little bits like this, that she's she's only three years older than him. Oh, yeah, which is crazy. But but convincingly plays oh, no, his mom. No, I, unlike, I buy it. Unlike, and I don't know what the actress's name is, but the woman who plays um, Cary Grant's mother in North oh, by Northwest. that's right. Yeah, is, I remember that's, us talking that's bad. about that. That's yeah. real bad. Yeah. That's really close, and it doesn't look it at all. But this is, I'm actually convinced that she's his mom. I think it's a whatever whatever she's doing her her mannerisms versus him. I I, I buy it. Yeah. I I think it's a successful um, interpretation of that character. Yeah, I I I buy it because we have really no idea how old Shaw is. We assume that he is just come out of college maybe and went straight into the military. I know I think maybe they mentioned that he was in. I think he was in his thirties when they shot it. Uh, but but yeah, it meant to be in his twenties somewhere in that range. And of um, course, he died tragically young, forty five years old. Yeah. Um, died in 1973, I think it was. Uh, he's also got that great scene of jumping in the lake on the coldest day in like yes. 30 years it, in yes. New York. Yeah. And I really, I do love that sequence. I wish there was kind of more of that. I don't think they utilize the brainwashing enough because the only two really big instances of it are that, the jumping in the lake. And then there's obviously the scene where he kills um, Jocelyn and, and the senator. Yes. Um, but yeah, just how good is Lawrence Harvey? He, no, he's great in it. I I love him having his. I mean, I don't call it a freak out, but when they're in the 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 limo right after he's landed, and oh, he's, he's like got his hands bu- against yes. the side of his head. Yes. that's great acting. It's in it's it's one of those things that in another movie by another performer that could have been way over the top, but I, it's very it's restrained and yet um really kind of freeing to yeah, just well, you also you believe that this kind of psychological abuse has been happening his whole life and so that's that's his defense mechanism is to try to cover his ears and shut his eyes and like block it out it's a very it's a, I, it's very childlike you know that thing you know where if, like you put your head over a blanket and be like if i can't see it or not you know it's not there it doesn't exist you know that was sort of a thing like when, if you were scared of whatever the your version of the boogeyman to just kind of block it out if you can't see it it doesn't exist kind of thing so you mentioned something earlier about the Queen of Diamonds that I and I think you actually answered it because I I was left a, a little confused about the power of that card because obviously the phrase I think you should play a little game of solitaire is what kind of triggers it and seeing the Queen of Diamonds is what gives whoever says it the the power to ask something so then and, and I want to try to go through the, the order of events here correct because I was I was a little confused. So they're at that 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 costume party, and and how convenient is that? That this is this is where I was going to swing back negative. Yeah, is that they do a lot to. I feel like they dig themselves into little holes, and then they try and like <laughs> something super convenient just to pull them back out. Like how convenient is it that she went out and found a Queen of Diamonds costume, just unbeknownst that that was what was going to trigger him. Yeah, right. I, so it's, then, it's a little it's a little easy. It's a little lazy writing. So uh. Eleanor, Angela Lansbury, says the phrase, shows him the card, or he, he flips it, and she basically tells him to stay here. Right, because she's, she's getting called away to yes. come back to the party. The other senator is there, and she's trying to convince him yeah. not to block the nomination. So here's, and then, so he, now here's where I get a little confused. Is she leaves, but she makes it, she makes it a, a very concerted effort to take the Queen of Diamonds with her. Or wait, or Queen of Hearts. I'm sorry. No, it's it's Queen of Diamonds, Queen of Diamonds which yes. is weird because okay. you would think Queen of Hearts that has a little more res. I don't know why they went diamonds instead of yeah. hearts. I think Hearts has a little more irony. Sure, I, yeah, I do too. Um, but okay, so then she takes the card with her. Now up pops Jocelyn wearing this Queen of Diamonds outfit, and so 
I, I, where I get confused is. Well, they they run off and get married. Yes, they do. But it's not like it's not like she said that. It, he, he's not really. It doesn't seem like he's given a command. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but she kind of snaps him out of it. Which yes. again is is like I said, convenient, somewhat lazy writing. I I, I agree. So then, I'm, so then I'm also curious is why does okay? So that that whole thing happens. And then Sinatra has the scene where he keeps flipping them. Why does he have to keep flipping them? Because I'm assuming I'm assuming in that state you could just keep asking him questions. I mean, what do I know? But that seems like I it seems it seems like it's just. A, like it's a really neat thing to have an entire deck of of the Queen of Diamonds, and so I get visually that that's a really cool thing to do. But I guess in the logic of the story, I don't understand why that happens. I think it's just something that looks cool. It's like okay. for, for dramatic effect. I'm fine with is, that. Is all that I could really conjure. I just I got I got a little hung up on the. He sees her in the outfit. The outfit get, gets taken off for whatever reason. I, I guess I don't know why it's left there. I, yeah, well, I, I think it's it's left there simply for Angela Lansbury to get the clue as to oh why and he's not here and why is he not here? Yes, but yeah. why, why? Okay, but it like in in the logic of the story, why is Jocelyn Jordan taking this costume off now? I, I again w- a really weird nitpick, and I don't I, you know. I mean, you could have almost had that be if you really wanted to go deep down the rabbit hole. You could have that she showed up in that knowingly, like they're in on it too. Oh, and now she has brainwashed, and she is trying. To, she's like the opposite agent, trying to like get him out of there. But of course, that that also kind of doesn't work because Sinatra is still kind of like figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know, just spitballing there. But then, and then, so not really. I guess you know. I mean, I was confused, but I guess kind of shitting on that part of it, then kind of swinging back. I I do like that this end doesn't pull any punches. I like that he he um the touch of him having the metal around his neck as well. I well, love that. Yeah, and that he wasn't he wasn't brainwashed at that last moment, you know, that he he did spoiler, he does he shoots his mom and his stepdad on the podium and then makes a decision to kill himself. And in a way, in a very odd way, that's the way this movie has to end. I think it's a it's a quote unquote happy ending. I don't happy is not the right word, but like the the bad guys get taken out. But then also, and 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 you know Shaw's not innocent, but to what extent is he guilty? It's that that's a really interesting question. But he has to go, not just because of the things that he's done overall, but that he did. You know, he killed the one person that he really loved, and I do seeing Shaw with Jocelyn, it was crazy to actually see Lawrence Harvey smile. Like he was happy. Yeah. That, Cause I don't, it, that I think that is the only time he smiles in the whole film. Yeah. Which would have been nice to kind of have him smile as he killed himself. Yeah. I, I do want to, that would have put a little, a little bit more of a, uh, again, an, another ironic spin on it. Yeah. And I'm glad that you asked that question. He's guilty, but to what extent is he guilty? Yeah. You asked, the penultimate question that the movie itself never even bothers to ask, which again comes down to, I'm, I'm just going to keep bashing on Axelrod's script a little bit here. Some lazy writing, not asking the big questions. Yeah. Well, and, and I, this is one, I, I think this, this movie was made, you know, JFK wanted to actually know who they were casting in this movie. Like he, he was, I wouldn't say he was involved, but he was certainly curious about, he enjoyed the book. I think that's that's sort of a public record thing. He And, and it's funny, this is not the only movie that got made that year, or rather in that time period, just because Kennedy had endorsed it. He had, I guess he had put out a book, a, a list of, of books that he loved. And this, and From Russia With Love, was on there, which is why the Bond producers decided to make that one next. Ah, Gotcha. Even though now, I mean, the Bond movies were always going to be out of sequence as far as the books were concerned, but that sure. just that just threw it out of sequence even further. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, where did I want to go with that? I'm sorry, I cut you off there, didn't I? Ah, uh, yeah, but whatever. That's well, it's what we do on this. Yeah. Um, we have no respect for each other. <laughs> no, no real respect. It's all just it's surface. Oh, something that hasn't something that's aged terribly. Was Angela Lansbury's like Chu Chin Chow thing not been able to oh, say his name? Yeah. Well, that I wanted to bring that up anyway. I mean, the casting in this is weird. So Henry Silva plays Chun Jin. Uh, he's not remotely Korean. No, at all. Though I do, I do love the line that they have 
in the movie where at the beginning where there's like, man, everywhere in this country, this guy was born two minutes away from it. He's like, he has this line about knowing like where everything is and oh, I was born super close to that. And so they're making a, a jab at that. Yeah. But he's actually, he was born in New York and he got kind of typecast into playing those types of heavies. But yeah, yeah he's born in New York and he's actually of Sicilian and Portuguese descent. So I don't know how you come to casting someone that, as a Korean. That, that's a real simple equation. You take, you take somebody who's, who's Portuguese and Sicilian and that equals Korean. I don't know if you, if you knew that. Oh no, I don't, I'm, I'm, Thank you. Yeah, racially, that that's out. a racial equation. Oh, thank I don't you. know if you knew that. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we should leave that in. Again, uh, Ki Dai, I think that's how we're going with the pronunciation of his yeah. name. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Yen Lo. He was born in Jersey and is of uh, Egyptian and Sudanese descent. So, again, oh, not, wow. not Korean. No, but I would say the, 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 he was, he was, um, the makeup and costume and stuff for him actually made him a little... I, I believe well, He's got it. that little Fu Manchu... The mustache, yeah, yeah. ...stash going yeah. on. It just it, perpetuating the Hollywood stereotyping. I'm kind of glad, you know, as, as much as I'm not going to see it, because fuck Disney, I do like that in the Aladdin, the live action, that we actually got people... F- from that, from the general region, or that, or that looked like they could be from there. Yeah, I'm, I'm tired of this. I think the biggest offender was that fucking Cloud Atlas movie, where oh, they I, did, I where they actually it. did the the yellow face. They actually took white actors and they made them up to look Asian, and even like did the thing with the the eyes. Oh like, God, yeah. I, I'm, I'm tired. How hard is it just to cast somebody? If you need somebody who's an Egyptian. There are Egyptian actors. Go find one. Don't be fucking lazy. Uh, yeah, I, uh, well, I, I mean, I, the, I, it, it I, does I, it does backfire and go hilariously well sometimes. Like one of my favorite guilty pleasures of all time, Highlander. You cast a Frenchman as a Scot, and then a Scot as an Egyptian with a Spanish name. I can. There's some just geniusly stupid about that. That was a Canon film, right? Is that Canon, the production company? Oh, uh, um, it's changed hands so many times. I think Lionsgate owns it now. Well, but I mean, originally, it, like either like that, Canon that, or, that, or Orion, one okay. of those. Okay, yeah. yeah. Um, that's not that's not important. Um, so two two things as, I, as I'm looking at my notes, things that I think are are I I wrote down. I I do love the Heinz fifty seven thing. That. Let's just give them a stupid number of communists that are, are in Congress. Oh, like the trading. Yeah, that, and yeah. this plays into more like he is just – I'm fascinated by a historical figure like McCarthy. Yeah. I don't understand how or why he was allowed to perpetuate in the way that he did and divide this country. So, well, I mean – Look at it now. Yeah, it's yeah. not – yeah, right. But <laughs> – so, Sorry, guys. I, I, I don't I, know how we got I, here I either, know. But. I know you said that you weren't – you're not into that character or maybe you're not so much into that performance, but I think it's spot on. Like he is, he is doing McCarthy and so many of the tropes of like not nailing down the number. And I love yeah. how easily he manipulated. He's oh, just, yes. he's just I, a worm. I, 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 he's so he does, he easily a purpose and yeah. I just, I don't know how much I'm in love with his performance of it. Um, something else I, I, as I'm looking down, we're talking about the, the questioning of why Janet Lee is in this movie, not her, but the, the character I'm looking down on my notes She's calling off her engagement to be with Marco. Yeah, see, none of this is what necessary. What the fuck is this about? Why, why do we need this? This does not belong in this film. The Janet Lee character comes out entirely. You've got a much more streamlined film. It's a lot of... It's a lot of fa- I have to... I couldn't find anything about why she was cast. She even seemed a little confused about what she was doing or, or why she was in it. But I just... I have to feel... I have to assume... That Sinatra just wanted a pretty face to to bounce the ball back and forth with, you know. To well, have. that and I, I wonder, and this is pure speculation, but I wonder how much of this was post psycho, not wanting to get pigeonholed. You know, this is kind of a mysterious role. It it, it doesn't it, it it shines differently than Marion Crane does. You know, so I don't know how much of it is her actually trying to steer the ship in a different direction. So it's I, yeah, it's I I, I just. And it's so weird because I don't want it because she's not bad in the movie. I just don't understand this part at all. I don't, does, does he does does Sinatra need a love interest? Does he does he need that? I mean, no. It's it's a it's an unnecessary distraction. It's it's useless, and nothing useless can be truly beautiful. I don't know who said that, but it applies. Let's just to say this. you did because I like that. I've never yeah. heard it before. But don't worry, you're going to be hearing it again in next week's episode. Oh shit! Okay. Spoiler um, alert. 
<laughs> so yeah, I it, it and so I I think ultimately where I where I'm landing with this movie is we watched it. And I and I wasn't I wasn't like watching The Quiet Man, right? I we got done and I was like, "Okay. Okay, there are parts I really liked and there are parts that I I didn't like." But it's hard to you know, Melissa said something, she know, she goes, "What a great what a great interesting subject that wasn't necessarily carried out in in a in a in a perfect way. I mean, there's no perfect movie, but it seemed like the, it left some things to be desired. But you know, we were to, with that brainwashing scene was so unique and intricate and detailed. It was I I was I remember because that's early on too. I was like, okay, all right, I'm into this. This is gonna so be this, good. So this was your first time seeing it. Yes, it was. Okay, this is about I think my third time seeing okay. it. Yeah, but then I wasn't then I wasn't sure where I was with it. And then we watched the remake, and we got done. I was like, oh, okay, well, well, the original is much better. It, it it is, you know, as much as I as much as I think Sinatra is a meh actor, um, the other the supporting actors in this, they alleviate any of his mediocre performances, and and they they as an ensemble really elevate this movie. But then I was looking at my notes, and I had my recommend on here, and like the insider is not in the book. And so it, it's a weird question of should this movie be in the book versus are there more deserving movies that should be in the book? And I realize this is a matter of, oh, well, of, of course, there, there of always personal will be. opinion. Yes, but oh, I just feel like I don't know how to. I mean, I know that you said that you think this movie should be in the book. But the, the reasons for why, and it's not because it's a perfect movie, because it's far from perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. I, th- I believe it should be in the book simply because of its timeliness. Yes. And how yeah. bold and how daring. It's really, it is. It's interesting subject matter that doesn't really get addressed a lot. I, I, think, it's, I think it's a very unique film. Yeah, I agree. I think there are a few films like it, and I think there are a few films that have, I shouldn't say this, I mean... There are films with great ensembles. There's yeah. loads of them. But this, they, as you said, they do. They elevate it. Lansbury, Harvey, and um, and your your uh, unsung hero, McGiver. McGiver. They, they do. They really do a hell of a lot of work to make this film better than it could have been. Yeah. Um, so we agree on the same shot, though. Our favorite shot was that. Oh, the, the 360. Yeah. 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 And yeah. then I have my, I love the line. I love how he... Sinatra like cuts him off as he's trying to explain the part light induced part drug. And he's like, I'm not interested in any of that. I have, I have two lines I want to bring up. One is just ridiculous. And one I think is, is kind of makes me, I, I want to question it more. The ridiculous line. And I think it's, I think it's Jocelyn who says it. I want to marry you more than I want to keep eating Italian food is a line in this movie, which is a super interesting character beat. I, I just think is, is bizarre, but okay, sure. Um, I do. I it's it's um, about halfway through the movie, and uh, Doctor Yen Lo has kind of come. He's he's been over in the states now, and he's basically talking about what's happened and what's going to happen. And he has this oh, line I forgot about, about that. That scene is great. Yeah, he has yeah. this line about um, these uniquely American symptoms: guilt and fear. And I don't. I can't say that I I've studied. You know. Um, any kind of social sciences to know whether or not this is not the case in other countries, but are those uniquely American um, symptoms of guilt I, and I don't, fear? I don't think so, but that's the the sort of communist view, sure. isn't it? I mean, there's that's... another there's another great line in there where he was he's talking to the guy that runs the the front that that hospital for um, recovering alcoholics, I think it is. Yes, and he's yeah. talking about how you know, oh, you know, we're actually profits were up this year, and he's like, oh, careful with that. Yes, you're going to start to sound like one of them. Yeah, you're, you're, right. right. you're, you're going right. to start to sound like a capitalist. Actually, you know what? Now that I've said that, I mean, I mentioned Ferris Webster is kind of like a special mention. Yeah, just because he's from the air, but I think my my unsung hero is um, the actor playing Doctor Yen Lo. I, he has so many wonderful little character moments and i think a lot of the best dialogue is is delivered by him well and it's interesting too and it's tough because that is that is a character who's almost specifically written to forward the plot like those are exposition dumps he's he's doing he is just here backstory backstory this is what we're doing this is what's going on but he does it with a with a lot of class and a oh, lot yes. of, and a lot of levity i mean he i don't i possibly hot take i don't think that interrogation scene works as well as it does without the performance he gives in it. I think he keeps, yes, it's, it's, it's well shot, but he does a great job of like, you know, 
giving the commands in a very in a very um, nonchalant way, but also appeasing the people who yeah, like. Yeah, he are, has he has a little bit of back and forth as well with yeah. them, doesn't he? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So is that do we did we feel we hit all the beats we wanted to hit? Are you happy with this episode? Are I, you, I I am. And are I, you coming over to my I side? I think that I can say that this movie does deserve to be in the book. Excellent. Unfortunately, at the expense of movies like The Insider, but yes. And and I think for the reasons that when this movie shines, it shines really well. And it is a, a really unique movie. There isn't a whole lot of movies out there like this. Um, and I think it probably, I think it did hit, it came out at a really interesting time in this country. And I think, you know, and in a way, in, you know, you could probably, and I think we've said this before, but you could almost look at any period of time and go, okay, this, this movie seems uniquely prescient right now, you know? Well, and in a, in a period in film history where censorship was so stringent, the things that they allowed them to get away with, I think is, that's, it's fascinating to me that this film even got made. Yeah, I, I agree. I totally agree. Well, there you go. So that is a yes from both of us. The Manchurian Candidate does deserve to be in the book. Uh, it'll probably be quite some time before we get to another Frankenheimer movie, the other one in here, um, which I've never seen. And so that'll be a fun conversation for us whenever the time comes. But now we want to hear what you think about the original Manchurian Candidate, hell, or the remake. Who knows? Let us know what you think about those movies and anything else. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at a thousand and one by one. Um, if you're listening, you're probably listening on iTunes or Google Play or Spotify or maybe other places. I don't know. Who knows? Um, uh, thank you for that. Uh, please like, review, rate, subscribe, all those great things. Um, we'd love doing this. Um, be, be on the lookout uh, for a Patreon soon, uh, maybe a Kickstarter, maybe a something else, uh, ways of getting donations out there. We're looking to do some new cool things and um, – we yeah. need your help. We do need your help. Um, and and the back and forth that we get to do with you guys is great. Um, and as Ian said, you know, we got some some really interesting people starting to comment now. So um, the engaging, we always love engaging with you. So so please leave us some comments, and we will we will get back to you as as soon as we can. So until next time, I'm Adam, and I am Ian, and we will see you next week. 